The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. If you have a copy of God's Word this morning, would you join me in Genesis 16? As we continue our study in the life of Abram, who will become Abraham, Genesis chapter 16, starting verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah's, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to, her, to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. We, she saw that he had conceived. She looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? He said, I am fleeing my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered For multitude, the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Ber Lahai Roy, and it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called his, the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. God has come to this man, Abram, seemingly out of nowhere and made great promises to him. Promises that he would from this man, Abram, Bring about a whole host of peoples, a a nation, offspring that 
numbers greater than the dusts of the earth, exceeds the numbers, the stars in the heavens. A promise to Abram to, to bless him, to make him a blessing. A, a gospel promise that it would be through his seed, through his offspring, that there would be one that would come that would bless the whole world. We know that now as the Lord Jesus Christ. Incredible blessings, incredible promises God's made to Abram. Yet, Abram, while being a man of faith, still struggles, doesn't he? Struggles manifest themselves in different ways. Beginning, it manifests itself in in a trip down to Egypt because of a famine in the land that God had led him to. It manifests itself in maybe a, a bit of doubt, though he's a man of faith, not being sure exactly that God would be faithful to his promises to give him offspring and to give him a land. And so God does the unthinkable in Genesis chapter 15. This was last week's message. God makes a covenant with Abram. God cuts a covenant with him. This ancient tradition of a, of a pact made between two individuals, a, a serious commitment that one would make to another, where animals would be torn in two and the parties would pass between them, signifying that if... One of them broke their covenant. What they did to those animals should be done to them. And the miraculous part in this covenant that God made with Abram is that Abram did absolutely nothing except gather the animals. Abram never passed through those animals. Instead, God and God alone passed through those animals, signifying that one, God is, is the God of Promises that he is the faithful promise keeper, and two, that if Abram, and by extension, if us as children of Abraham, did not uphold our end of the covenant, that God would take on the punishment due us upon himself. And that's exactly what he does in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Christ gives his life as the ransom sacrifice, the lamb. Torn in two. What an incredible moment in the life of Abram. What a tremendously high spiritual experience as he not only hears the voice of the Lord, but he sees these theophanies of God, these visual representations of a smoking pot and a flaming torch. And God Himself comes and meets Abram and seals a covenant with him. What an incredible spiritual moment. Uh, a, A mountaintop experience, if you would. God saying, though you may fall, Abram, though you may fail, I will be faithful. It isn't very long that Abram puts God's word to the test. From a tremendous high 
spiritual experience to a tremendous fall by Abram. A tremendous failure. In this chapter this morning, we see Sarai, we see Abram, we see Hagar taking matters into their own hands. Attempting on their own to work out the ways that God would go about fulfilling His promises without any regard to Him. And in doing so, sin abounds. Sin abounds. That's what we see in Genesis 16. If we see covenant love abounding in 15, we see sin abounding in 16. It begins 10 years down the line from when God had first come to Abram in Ur and made this promise to bring about an offspring. Ten years later now, there is no son of the promise. And so Sarai formulates her own plan. It's a plan that uses the cultural norms of their day. But it's a plan with no regard to God. Did you notice in this chapter that there is zero regard to God, to His Word, to His promises, to His wills? Zero regard until the very end when God Himself steps in. We start, verse 1, with Sarai's sin. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. We meet these two women, Sarai, Abram's wife, who has now for ten years since this promise not conceived a child. And she has an Egyptian servant whose name is Hagar. This is a, a servant that she would have acquired during their time in Egypt. There are some parallels here in the beginning of chapter 16 with chapter 12. In chapter 12, God had made a promise for blessing. And in the promise of blessing, there is barrenness. It's a, it's a, it's a promise blessing of a land. But in the land that God leads him to, there is a barrenness in the land, right? There is a famine there that seemed to contradict his promise of blessing. And so Abram faithlessly provides a solution of his own that involves going to Egypt. Now, the reverse takes place. And Sarai welcomes Egypt into their relationship. 
the form of this servant, Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. See, Sarah makes a big assumption here. The assumption is, is that she is incapable of bearing children. She believes that she is barren. That's her belief. That's her understanding. And it would be a, a natural place for her to be because she's, she's in her 80s now. And she's never been able to have children. Her life experiences up until this point would have told her that. For years now, they've tried to conceive, but with no success. And so she believes that she is incapable. But not only does she believe that, but she blames God for her, her barrenness, doesn't she? In verse 2, And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. In Sarah's mind, it is God's fault. It's God's fault. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, I do have sympathy for Sarai here. I went back and reread 12, 13, 14, 15. I was just curious. Did God in His promises to Abram include Sarai? And He, he didn't at least from what I could see. But the promise was to Abram that he would have offspring, but it did not say from Sarai. So I understand her doubt here. But that still doesn't make it right. You see, God didn't have to go on record by saying, Abram, it will be through your wife, Sarai, that you will have a child, because God has already gone on record in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God has already gone on record here. One man, one woman for life. So we didn't have to make it clear, yet here's Sarai in doubt, certainly in frustration. Taking matters into her own hands, she hatches a plan that involves her servant, Hagar. What a reversal. In Egypt, Abram gives his wife to the Egyptians to solve his problem. And here, Sarai gives her Egyptian to her husband to solve hers. You know, this is rather scandalous to us isn't it? But the reality is it would have been normal in their culture. It would have been normal in their culture if a wife was unable to conceive a child for a servant to take on that role as a surrogate mother of sorts. Scandalous to us, but normal in their culture. What a helpful reminder for us that even if something is normal or normalized or accepted in culture, 
that does not make it right in God's eyes. He's made one man for one woman for one life. What Sarai is doing here is she is following man's customs instead of God's commands. Church, it's a helpful reminder for us that conventional wisdom does not always equal God's will. And that as the covenant people of God, we must stand clear-headedly and firm on God's commands and not on shifting cultural norms. I'm not very old, 39. So it's weird for me to say I've I've never seen cultural norms shift as quickly as they have over the last 10 years. I'm sure... You know, old folks in the 60s were probably saying the same things. Older folks in the 70s were probably saying the same things. And older folks in the 80s were probably saying the same things. Older folks in the, you know, 912s were probably saying the same things. But it's the reality, isn't it? Cultural norms ebb and flow. They change. What's accepted changes. What's viewed as normal changes by culture. I can't imagine building my life based on what the world says is normal or right or acceptable. Because what might be true one day is wrong the next. Church, we serve a God who never changes. Who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of eternity past is the same God of eternity future. He never changes. His plans never changes. His will never changes. His purposes never change. His word is always faithful and true and right. And it is upon His words, His commands that we build our life. It makes no difference what cultural norms say. Now I realize that's a, a dangerous prospect in a changing world. But quite frankly, bring it on. God's looking for men and for women who will stand firm on his word in the face of the shifting sands of culture and say, thus says the Lord. Sarah follows man's customs rather than God's command. This is not an exercise of faith by Sarah. And so because it isn't an exercise of faith, it is sin. Romans 14, 23, but whoever has doubt is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. This is, this is this conversation that captivated the early church on eating food sacrifice to idols. What I want us to see here is this next phrase, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. That's where Sarah finds herself. 
scandalous, heinous sin. As bad as Sarai's sin is here, and it's easy to, to read this and go, Sarah, what were you thinking? What were you doing? Man, you're messing up, Sarah. Why? Why don't you trust God? Why would you, why would you do this? I, I, I don't think Sarai's sin is as bad as Abram's. Verse 2 is so striking, isn't it? And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Abram goes from chapter 15, listening to the voice of the Lord, to having no regard for God. And he listens to the voice of Sarai. And so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And I can't help but see what I believe is the intentional parallel here with Genesis chapter 3 and the fall that's taken place there. This is a, this is a repeat of the very first sin in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? I, I, I think that's sort of what Sarah's got going in her mind. Did God actually say I would be the one to bear the son of the promise? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God says you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband who was with her and he ate. What do we see in Genesis 3 and Genesis 16? What we see in both instances, both in Adam and in Abram, is an absolute abdication of man's responsibility to be the spiritual head and leader of his wife. It seems that all the way from the very beginning, Man's passivity is a, the common problem that leads to grave sin and disastrous consequences. Adam was passive. He stood there watching, listening to his wife and not leading. Abram is passive. He stands there listening to his wife and not Leading. Abram is submissive to Sarai rather than to God. The same thing was true with Adam. Adam was submissive to Eve instead of being submissive to God. Abram has abdicated his God-given headship in his own home. And he should have led his wife 
to remember the faithful promises of God. He should have led his wife to trust in the promise of God. He should have led his wife to obey God. He should have taken Sarah by the hand and walked her outside and said, look up at the stars. Honey, would you look at the stars? He made a promise. And he's faithful to his promises. And we're going to trust him. And we're going to obey him. And we're going to honor him. And we're going to leave the consequences up to him. But he didn't. He failed to lead. And he failed to trust God. Man, I'm convinced that the problem in the garden, the problem in Canaan, is the root of most of the problems in our homes. And that's men who are not men who have abdicated their responsibility to be the spiritual head and to lead their wives and their children to honor God and to trust Him and to obey Him. Abram failed. And in the immediate anyway, it seems like it worked, doesn't it? Hagar conceives. And then the drama sets in. And Abram is drawn into a conflict between his wives now. And again, he fails to lead. Hagar conceives and she begins to look with contempt on Sarai. It's an interesting word there. Same word used for... Uh, Pharaoh looking onto Moses. It's so, there's so there's so much parallelism. I never realized it between this story of Abram and the Exodus. It's the same sort of contempt look that Pharaoh looks on to Moses that Hagar has for Sarah. Well, Sarah, she don't have none, none of that, you know. So she begins to deal harshly with Hagar. She says to Abraham, may the wrong done to me be on you, Abram. Quite frankly, she's right. She's right. And here's Abram's chance again to lead. Here's Abram's chance to repent of his sin. Here's Abram's chance to lead his wife into holiness. Here's Abram's chance to deal kindly but firmly with Hagar. But what does he do? He washes his hands and he does nothing. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Now, culturally, Abram's right. She, Hagar is Sarah's man's, or, uh, household servant. But scripturally, Abram is the head. 
And he abdicates again, and instead he chooses the easy way. He basically just says, just leave me out of it. Men, we must lead. When we don't, we welcome disaster into our homes. We must lead our wives and we must lead our children in God's ways. God himself has given us this command. And we must obey him and we must exercise our headship in a way that honors God and builds up our families. Ephesians chapter 5, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Let me ask you a question. Does it say there, For the husband who knows enough is the head of his wife? Does it say it? For the husband who's been seminary trained is the head of his wife. Does it say it? For the husband who's experienced enough, does it say it? Is there any conditional clause? None. The husband is head of the wife. When does that take place? It takes place when you're joined together with her in a covenant of marriage. That God Himself places you as the spiritual head, the spiritual leader, the spiritual shepherd of your wife. That's what God has done. Even as Christ is the head of the church's body, as Christ leads us, as He shepherds us, as He guides us, as He loves loves us, as He intercedes for us, as He gives His life for us, men, so are we called to lead our wives that way. I was struck by that this, this week. There's a pastor in Texas and Matt Carter, I think Matt's probably, I don't know him personally, I think he's, he's probably, I, I would put him top three, four, five men in the Southern Baptist Convention that are trusted, wise, godly leaders. Matt 100% would be uh, the, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention at some point. Planted a church called Austin Stone. Now he pastors a church called Sagemont, Tennessee, Texas. Big church, big church. Uh, got sick and um, had to go to the hospital. Come to find out, long story short, he, he has a, a, a very rare um, heart disease that causes incredibly fl- fast-growing um, blockages and plaque in his heart. And he's 49 years old and um, had like an 80% blockage in the Widowmaker artery and another one already starting. And he resigned his church last week. And when he resigned as pastor of his church, he said the reason is because as I thought about it, I realized there are 50, 60, 70 men, 100 men in this nation that could come and lead this church as good, if not better, than I can. 
They can pastor you well, but my wife only has one pastor. Amen. And that's me. And I can't sacrifice her on the altar of ministry. Man, we must lead. God has given this command to us. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives also should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He loves his wife, loves himself. Man, are you leading your wife? Are you leading your home? Are you spiritually healthy? Are you physically healthy? Are you emotionally healthy? All those things go together. All those things go together. To enable you to lead the way that God has called you to lead. And quite frankly, it's time for... A lot of men, including those in our church, to grow up into maturity and to stop thinking and behaving and acting like children and be men and lead your wives and your children. Abram abdicates and sin compounds and complicates. So Sarah deals harshly with Hagar, and Hagar flees. Where is she headed? She's headed back to Egypt. She's headed back to her people. She, she gets out of there. Notice in Hagar's fleeing, there is no regard for God. That is until verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness... The spring on the way to Shur. Shur's almost there. She's almost to Egypt. She's almost back to her people, almost back to their gods. And this angel finds her and calls her by name, the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is God. This is God. This is not just an angel. This is God. How do I know that this is God? Well, I know that this is God because Hagar recognizes that this is God. She herself says, surely God himself sees me. And this angel of the Lord gives the promise that God has given, right? Um, Only the things that... God could do, does this angel say that he will do? I will multiply your offspring. This is God. This is most likely, I believe, and there's a lot of debate about it. I don't really know why there is as much as there is, but there is. This is, I believe, the the pre-incarnate Christ of the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ. Christ has existed since the beginning. In the beginning, 
was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word is Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. He has always existed. Jesus is eternal. He is not created. He is eternal. He is the eternal God. He existed in the Old Testament in pre-incarnate form, and this is it. We see him multiple times in the Old Testament. Regularly, he is identified as the angel of the Lord. And so God meets Hagar here in her distress as she flees. And aren't you, God, aren't you glad that God comes to us and seeks us out in our distress? Even when our distressing circumstances are the result of our own sin, God still is gracious. God still seeks us out. God's covenant loyalty keeps God from abandoning these three. And he would have had every right to do so, wouldn't he? But he has made a covenant with his people. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. It's funny, she doesn't tell him where she's going. Because I think now she's like, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm just going to go wherever you tell me to. Their Lord, I mean, wouldn't you if he showed up? The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Only God can do that. I will surely do it. Angel of the Lord is God. Behold, you are pregnant. You shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Do you know what this is? This is why there has been and will always be until the Lord Jesus Christ returns in victory, conflict in the Middle East. This is it. This, this is the Arab people. The children of Ishmael. Why is, there so, why, why is there so much fighting? And This is it. All of that, consequence of sin. All of that, the consequence of one man's sin. You just reminded sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you're ever wanted to pay and the consequences of sin are huge far reaching long lasting in ways we can't even begin to understand look look at what's happened here so she calls the name she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her you are a God of seeing so she identifies him as God for truly, 
here I have seen him who looks after me. Did you know this is the only place in the scriptures where a person gives God a name? Hagar gets a bad rap sometimes, but I think Hagar's a believer. She identifies God. She submits to God. She obeys God. She says, God, you are the God who sees, and he absolutely does. He sees and he knows all things. And he sees our sin and he sees our distress and he is still gracious in his covenant love towards us. Therefore the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bore Abram a son and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old. When Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Church, we must trust God. We must honor Him. We must obey His word. We cannot take matters into our own hands trying to work things out in our own ways and in our own wisdom, even if it lines up with cultural norms of our days. But instead, we must seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. There is no do-it-yourself in God's kingdom. Sarai tries to do it herself. Abram tries to do it himself. Hagar tries to do it herself. God is the faithful and the kind one that is keeping his covenants and his promises. And he's called us to seek him through prayer and his word and to trust him even when it doesn't make sense. To honor him and to obey him even when the outcomes are unsure. To trust in his covenant promises. To realize that there's grave and long lasting consequences to our sin. And to be quick to repent. Men to lead. To lead well. Spiritually healthy. Physically healthy. Emotionally healthy. Caring for our wives and our children. Wives to submit. To the leading of their husbands. And together as a unit. As one flesh. Honor the Lord. Bearing children. Raising them to honor the Lord. And to be reminded that we will fail. You men will fail your wife, and I will fail mine, and wives, you will fail your husbands, and together we will fail our children, and children fail most of the time, but still, God comes. Even in our mess, and Even in our brokenness, He mends 
And he fulfills his plans and his promises for his glory and for our good if we trust him. If we trust him. This should be the end of the story for Abram. But it's not. God's faithful. The good news is for us is that when we fail, when we fall short, because of God's grace, it's not the end of our stories either. That he's faithful to his word, he's faithful to his promises, and he still uses us in his kingdom even when we don't deserve it. Father, would you help us honor you, seek after you, obey you, trust you when things are unsure, when the future is cloudy, when how you're working seems confusing and doesn't make sense. Would we trust in your faithful promises? You are the covenant-keeping God. And would we obey you? Would you help us as men not to abdicate our responsibilities to lead? But would we mature from milk to solid food and act like men? Keep your word. Serve our families. Serve our church. Fulfill our commitments. Spend time in prayer and in your word. Leading our family from the overflow of our love and devotion to you. Not abdicating our responsibilities as a bunch of passive cowards. We don't want to be like our father, Adam, and Abraham. God, may you help our wives submit and encourage their husbands. As together we seek to raise children that honor you. God, when we fall short time and time again, boy, do we ever fall short to rejoice and to rest in your covenant-keeping grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net. Thank you.